how many hours a day are you in meetings? How much time are you spending having lunch? Are you working out? Like get clear on that and that will help you hone in on like one, what are the things that you enjoy? And maybe you love those meetings, which is great. But this is also going to help you find where you have some room for improvement because maybe lunch isn't on your calendar. What are you going to do for yourself today? Do you need time to take a walk or to journal during your lunch break? Do you need time to make yourself a healthy, yummy sandwich? Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every single one of you that come back every week to listen, learn, and grow. Now, you know that I love interviewing experts, thought leaders, influencers, and people who have insightful things to share with us about our body, our mind, and even our energy and spirit. And today we're talking about a theme that is so close to my heart and I get to talk with one of my favorite, favorite people in the world who I'm so excited to sit down with. We're talking about our morning routines and I'm sitting down with the one and only editor-in-chief of Women's Health, Liz Plosser, and talking about her new book, own your morning. You know how much I love mornings. You know how much I love Liz if you've been following me. And this book is beautiful. I feel like I'm opening up a ray of sunshine. Like literally, I just want you to take a moment to just look at how beautiful this is. And every page you turn, you just met with real great nuggets of wisdom. So while you're listening, what I want you to do is I want you to tweet, I want you to Instagram and share hashtag own your morning. And you can tag me and Liz in your posts as well. I want to see how you're going to start owning your morning after this. Liz, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for writing this beautiful book. And I can't wait to dive into it with you. Oh, Jay, it is so awesome to be here with you in person too. I feel so lucky and um, grateful for that amazing introduction and just super grateful for your friendship and your support and for you being a contributor to this book too. It's like, it's all happening right now and I'm, I'm filled with love and light and happiness. So it's, it's awesome to be here with you. You are a powerhouse. You're a leader in the health and wellness space. You're a, you know, you're an editor in chief. You have this huge responsibility but your background wasn't in media or wellness. Your background was that you were an investment banker. Yes. And I love that about you Thank because you. it's the colliding of two completely different worlds, at least from an external point of view. But I'd love for you to take us back as to Liz at college trying to figure out what Liz wanted to do yeah. and how you ended up as an investment banker. I will go back even further and say that an interest in fitness and health and nutrition has always been part of my DNA. I grew up playing sports. Um, I got really into running and training for marathons and sort of how fuel um, could help you perform at your peak. So that has always been hugely important to me. But Honestly, Jay, when I was in college, where I was an English major, but I also took a lot of economics classes and really always loved business um, and learning about it, it, even though I was an avid magazine reader back then, like the person who spent all her allowance money at the supermarket buying all the magazines, like I grew up doing that. Me too. It never occurred to me that you could do something you love and get paid for it. 
Like, I thought work had to be hard. I went through the interview process as a senior. I went to Princeton, and sort of the investment banks and consulting firms descended upon campus, and all my friends were going to them. And I had enough um, background in economics and math courses to get an amazing job offer. Even at the time, I was like, I cannot believe this is happening. You did see that I'm an English major, right? Um, but to their credit, I think they saw value in somebody with a slightly untraditional background and perspective. And then I moved to New York, and it was like my ticket to come to New York City and start my life and be able to pay for an apartment and all those things. And I, I learned very quickly that it was not my life's passion. And I'm actually, in, in retrospect, so glad that I didn't land in some job that I was like sort of okay with. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that great. Like I viscerally knew in my heart, this is not, this is not meant to be my, my life's work. And having that experience and feeling that in my gut really catapulted me to start learning about what do you want to do and like networking with people and asking everybody about their jobs and do you like them. And the further I went down that path, the more this crazy idea of like, well, I love, love, love magazines. I love health and wellness. Could I explore that? Could I go there? It suddenly, the more I learned, the more I was like, I think this is this is where I want to go. So um, fast forward to today, as you mentioned, I'm the editor-in-chief of Women's Health. Um, it's literally a dream job. I actually, when I was 23 years old, had a dream that I would have this job. Um, so it's, um, I, I still wake up every day and I feel the, the immense responsibility and just joy and gratitude that I get to do what I do every single day. But I'm also like really glad that I went down that little rabbit hole of investment banking because I have some quirky skills that actually are quite valuable in my line of work. Yeah. Tell us about those because I think often when people are seeking transitions, we almost have this very binary view. Right. What I'm doing right now is useless. I hate it. It's not what I want to do. It's not my passion. It's not my mission. This thing over here is what I want to do. Right. And we can be very negative and neglectful of the skills, the learning, the growth. So I was sharing earlier with you, my corporate experience at Accenture, yeah. it wasn't my dream, but what I learned was so powerful. Yeah. The mentorship I received, the incredible opportunities I got because I was a part of that company and the great initiatives they had, the relationships and network I have yes. back at the company and the people that left and are still there. And I look back at that and think that's been a strength for me in living a life that's truly authentic to my passion and my purpose. Totally. So with you, tell us about some of the useful skills you brought along with you that have been integral to your purpose. Yeah, well, just as you were talking, I was I was thinking about my colleagues from my my early investment banking days, and I'm still in touch with a lot of yeah. them. They were really proud of me and supportive when I completely changed industries. Surprised, but also <laughs> very, very supportive. Um, and I was just thinking about how it was a very male-dominated group that I was in, as finance mm -hmm. um, can be. But um, the woman who led our group was a powerful, compassionate, amazing woman. And she was incredibly supportive. I remember walking into her office and like taking a thousand deep breaths beforehand to tell her, I'm going to leave this awesome, amazing group and job to go do this completely different thing. So I will always just have like a soft spot in my heart for the the guidance and support and tips that she gave me on my way out. She was such a 
like a luminary in my life, even at that age. And I have gone on to be so lucky to have so many other women who have been mentors and helped me along the way. Um, So there's that piece of it. On the completely opposite end of the spectrum, when I was talking about the quirky skills, I was thinking about um, how good I am at Excel and building Excel (laughs) spreadsheets. I love that. That's not traditionally something that editors and chiefs do very much, but you kind of actually do. Like, I now, because I am um, in the role that I am, I very much am focused on the content and the creative side, but I also have to look after the business and are we using our resources and our our precious editors' brains and times in appropriate ways that um, are good for the brand, not only for our readers, but also to make the brand flourish and be healthy. So I can pull out a spreadsheet and like run the numbers on something in an instant, um, I made a lot of decks, you know, in PowerPoint back in the day. And I I continue to love doing that and love like sprinkling magic dust on them um, and tinkering with them. I have also found that when people discover what my experience was and where my, my first job was, in my industry, everyone's like impressed and appreciates that I bring a slightly different, mm. not completely traditional perspective to my work. I think that's something maybe for your audience to keep in mind wherever they are in their journeys is that um, a, a diverse perspective, and I mean that in all of the ways, that is really help, healthy yeah. and valuable no matter what you do or where you are. Yeah, I read a really interesting study probably around four years ago now, and it was by MIT. And they looked at employees' networks online and offline. Uh And they found that employees who knew people, who knew people, who knew the same people had less innovative ideas and were able to bring less creativity to the table. But employees who had a network that was more diverse where you'd be confused by how they know both those types of people. And so I often say that when I have ideas or thoughts, I often think, well, what would a tech giant say. So what would Mark Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs or someone like that think about this? And then what would the Dalai Lama think about this? And to me, that opposite spectrum of thought is where I try and work from. So I'm always trying to combine strategy with sincerity or assertiveness with affection. And I feel like the more polar opposites you can put together, the more interesting your work becomes. And so when I hear you say that, I love that. I am terrible at Excel. So <laughs> even I was, after I, being a consultant, even at after Accenture? Being a, okay. I avoided <laughs> Excel at Accenture like the plague. Yeah, I did never did it. I stayed away from it. I stuck to my strengths and skills, and I did a lot of powerpoints and, yes. and all that kind of stuff. Yes. But what gave you the courage to make that shift and transition? Because you went to an incredible institution you're almost trained to go off and do something in a particular way. How did you disconnect from any expectations, any opinions, any noise, any any thoughts that people would have had? Like, you're probably going to make less money. Right. You work so hard. All these things that you would hear, did you hear them? And if you did, how did you deal with them? And if you didn't, how did you deal with it for yourself? Oh, I, I love all of this. And it's, it's fun thinking back on it because it's been almost 20 years now. So for starters, I shared my dream, literally my dream, um, with a group of strangers who I met training for a marathon. I, I did um, a marathon through team and training. We would get together in Central Park, you know, people from all over New York City, all different ages, all different careers. But you make 
great, great friendships, I believe, um, when you sweat next to somebody, literally. And when you have <laughs> true. 10 miles to run together, you've got a lot of time to talk about all the things. So um, this group already knew that I was struggling with my happiness um, in my career. But when I remember I, I had this dream um, about being an editor at a, a health and wellness publication, and we had a 15-mile long run that next morning on Saturday morning. And, you know, a couple miles in, as we'd started warming up, I shared it. And I think maybe in my heart, I knew that these people knew me well enough by now um, that they would be honest and open with their feedback. And I am so glad that they were like, you should do that. Like, could totally see you doing that. So this was a group of people who like knew me through running, but they just got it instantly with my personality. And they thought it, they, they gave me sort of the courage to take the next step, which was then to start investigating and talking with people. And like we were talking about educating and myself and learning more about the industry. There was plenty of pain and struggle and, you know, dozens of interviews that didn't pan out and people that were not willing to take a chance on an investment banking analyst. And finally, it did work out. And it was through a ton of hard work and networking. And also, Jay, I'm going to be honest, it was a lot through like some privilege and luck because of um, where I've been in my life. So I don't I don't take any of that lightly. And like, I own it that I made the transition. And then it was like terrifying. Like, okay, I've literally put everything on a limb. You know, I'm going out on this limb. Like, what if I don't like it? What if, what if it's not all I think it's going to be? And it was awesome, like from day one. And this is day one when I was like fetching coffee and like processing contracts for freelance writers, but just like the energy of creating. So my first job in the space was as, as an editorial assistant at Self Magazine um, in the fitness department. And I it, it was just amazing from the start. Like sparks were flying. I was happy. Yes, I was doing a lot of grunt work, but I was learning so much and I was willing to roll up my sleeves and be the one who didn't know and hadn't gone through the internships and all of that. One last thing I'll say is that you've heard me talk about my husband, Matt, before, and we have a crazy chaotic life. He's got a big full-time job. We have three children. We have a puppy at home. Like rewind back to 23-ish year old Liz who is contemplating this change. And Matt and I have been together since our senior year of college. So he's Amazing. we've known each other since we were 18. We um we were in Latin 104 together That's on amazing. day one of college. Matt was very much of the mind that, like, don't think about the salary. If you love this as much as I think you're going to and you think you're going to, that's all going to work out eventually. So having the support of a partner who loved me and knew me and cared about me and was like, you've got this. You can do this. I know it's scary. I know it's a lot less money, but take the next step. That was hugely impactful That's and helpful. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. Well, I love hearing that. It's I think it's so refreshing to hear about that where we can hold space for our partners and we can create space for people to become who they want to be rather than feel pressured to or shoehorned into something else. And and even though you mentioned privilege and luck, I, I do also believe there's you know, there is a lot to be said for doing the grunt work. Yeah. Often if there's privilege, there's a feeling of I shouldn't be doing this. Right. But it sounds like in your journey, you've actually done a lot of that and been okay with that. Let's speak about that for a second because I feel the same way Yeah. that there isn't a substitute for that. Mm -hmm. And often our dream job or passion is on the other side 
of some grunt work yes. that feels beneath us, right. even though I don't think anything's beneath anyone. Right. But often that perception is actually what limits people. And I feel that more and more today than ever before, where there is a certain disconnect. Tell us about how you made that fun or how you made it meaningful or how you felt at the end of a day of getting coffees and doing contracts. But how did you keep going? Because now you're at the top of the chain, yeah. but you started at the bottom. Yeah. So how did you keep feeling that momentum at every stage? Because you don't get to the top in a year or even five. No, so, no, it takes a minute. It was very much about feeling the vibes and the energy of that office. And I was um, fortunate enough to work at a, a place that the jun most junior of editors were allowed to come into the brainstorm meetings and see and wow, hear things. That's rare. It is. And I, um, I was just sort of like, so bold and courageous of like pitching stories. And I remember waving my hand like six months in saying, I have an idea, you know, I have this feature story idea. Those are the, the big long stories with lots of pictures in the middle of the magazine. And I know it's crazy. I know I'm brand new here, but I actually want to be the one to write it. And my boss let me do it. I mean, it took a ton of handholding. And by no means was, did that mean I was like ready to be promoted to senior editor because I'd pinned a feature. But working toward and having those moments or opportunities was enough to keep the spark and the energy alive. And so to kind of bring it full circle, since now I'm at a different point in my career, I try very hard to keep that in mind with my awesome team members um, and try to nurture an environment where no matter where you are on the totem pole or the masthead, um, that every single one of us has something to contribute and a great idea is like embedded in each of their, their brains. Um, and also to give them access to things that are interesting to them, even if it's not quote unquote part of their like you know, yeah. little box job description. So I, I'm trying to pay that forward because that was really helpful to me in my career. And I'm sure you feel this way too. Just because we are where we are in our professional careers doesn't mean that we're not still rolling up our sleeves and doing Absolutely. the grunt work. Like a few years ago, when I started at Women's Health, I was only overseeing the print side of um, the brand and we integrated print and digital. And then I began overseeing um, the website, social media, video, all the things. And I had experience in the digital space from my previous few jobs. But when that formally went into effect, I actually asked to like build stories in the in our CMS system and go through the SEO training and like get the like 101 and to experience what it was like to be in the system. And I'm not like trying to pat myself on the back, but I think it's important to, as leaders, to remember what like the nuts and bolts are like on the ground level. Um, I think it gives me more sensitivity and compassion for what every single team member is going through every day. And it's also just a good reminder that um, we all have so much to learn and yeah. there's there's plenty of sweat left, you know, um, no matter where we are in our careers. Yeah, thank you so much for opening up about that because I, I love what you just said, that sweat is in every stage of the journey. Yeah. There is no substitute for it ever. Forget just the beginning, it's it's never going to go away. But at the same time, I think for a lot of us, we need to find the meaning in the sweat early on when you feel the sweat isn't in stuff you care about. Yeah. So I think you really gave a lot of people that are listening today, hopefully a lot more motivation and inspiration to stick with it. So. Because you have to look at it, you have to look at the, you have to play the long game. You have to look at the long term. 
when you're in those situations. Now, I want to talk about your book, Own Your Morning, which is what we're discussing today. Uh, I want to, before we dive into the book, which I really hope everyone's going to get after listening to this episode, is let's talk about when did mornings <sighs> become a thing that you thought were important? Because people can be morning people, and we'll talk about what it means to be a morning person. Discovering that your morning is a powerful time to set up a successful day. When did that happen for you? And what was it that made you convinced that owning your morning had to be important? Yes. So this has definitely been a journey for me and lots of experimentation to arrive at the point where I am now. But um, I'm actually going to go back in time to that that first job we were just talking about a few minutes ago in um, investment banking. That was a job where... Um, Anything could happen, and I feel like a lot of people can relate no matter what industry you're in. Anything could happen during the day. A deadline could be thrown on my desk at 5 p.m. A friend would invite me to an event. Like, the possibilities of the day, both good and bad, were endless. And I learned very quickly that... Um, so sweat, a workout is an essential part of my day, has been since I was a kid. Um, but I learned that if I said, okay, I'm going to hit the gym on my walk home from work tonight, maybe up to nine out of 10 times, something would happen. I would get derailed. I wouldn't be able to get there. And then the like perpetual, like, ugh, cumulative effect of not getting that workout, something that powers me up, makes me feel clear and calm and confident. I felt like, oh, so blah. You know, within like a week of starting that job, it, it's not rocket science, but I was like, oh, I get it. I have to set my alarm clock for way earlier and get to get myself to the gym and showered, et cetera, before I hit the workday. And then I'm so much better prepared for all the twists and turns that are in store for me during the day. And I cannot control what happens during the day. None of us really can, but we can, for the most part, control what happens in our mornings. Um, yeah. And so that was the beginning for me that I, when I got in my workout and did the things that powered me up in the morning, the whole rest of my day went a million times better. And I've yeah. sort of been hacking this over time and researching it and learning about it. And it's been a, a life's passion for me. And that's, so that's my, so now I'm, I'm a very early riser. Um, I don't run a marathon every morning, but I do have little micro actions I take that nod to the things that are most important to me. And I'm a much better human the rest of the day because of it. I love it. I love it. And now the first chapter, I loved the title when I first saw this. <laughs> and you very emphatically say to everyone, you are a morning person. Yes. And I know a lot of people hear that and go, no, I'm not. Yes. Because there's such a cynicism around or, or not even a cynicism, there's just a pessimism around our own selves of like, well, I love staying up late. And I, me and my wife hear this all the time. My wife wakes up at 5 a.m. every day. Yes. I wake up at 6 a.m. every yes. day. When we're with our friends, a lot of people say to us, well, but we sleep at like 2 a.m. or 1 a.m. And, you know, I'm going to be waking up at like 8 or 7 or whatever it may be. And this isn't about better or worse. This isn't about comparing. This isn't about, oh, we're more healthy or it's, it's not that it's a conversation about what do you want from your life? Yes. When you tell everyone emphatically, anyone can become a morning person. Tell us what are the signs that someone's a morning person? And then what are the steps we can take to become one? If we're sitting here going, Liz, I'm really not a morning person. Yes, I hear you. Um, and I'm so glad you brought this up because you are exactly right. I am also an early riser. 
you know this about me, but I wake up at 5.17. But this book is not about like, you need to be waking up at 5.17. Yeah. There is no judgment whatsoever if you are in the camp of, I actually want to wake up at 8 a.m. and that works for me. I'm, I am with you. My goal is to help you make the most of the time you spend after you get out of bed to um, set yourself up for the best day possible. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, Jay, and what I hear a lot from people is, they actually wish they could wake up a little earlier, but like your friends, they're night owls, yeah. um, and it's just not in their nature. So a pattern, a habit. Yep. So two quick things. Um, as I share in the book, I was not a morning person. I, I very much loved to sleep in, especially as a teenager. Um, there is a lot of science that suggests that um, we have a chronotype, so you might be more predisposed to enjoy popping out of bed in the morning or to staying up late at night, so early birds, night owls. Some people get their um, rush of energy in the middle of the day. The cool thing is it's constantly changing over time. So even if um, a couple of years ago that's how you were or you are there right now, it might change just naturally. Um, which is, I think, interesting. I feel like that's partially what happened to me. Uh, But secondly, there are a lot of things you can do if you do want to wake up earlier to set yourself up the night before um, and also like what you do when you get out of bed, exposing yourself to light, making like this is what the book really breaks down. If that is your goal to wake up earlier and you think you would be healthier and happier for it, this book can help you do that. Um, It really is possible. I think also when people think about becoming a morning person, they think they have to sleep less. Right. And that's not the thing. The point is you can still sleep as much as you want. You're just going to try and sleep earlier so that you can still have that amount of sleep. And so I think a lot of people struggle with the idea of being a morning person. Yes. So I feel like I've always been a morning person, but I'm also someone who really appreciates sleep. Mm, and me too. And really wants good sleep. <laughs> me too. Even though people are like, oh, Jay, but you're a monk and you wake up. And I'm like, yeah, but I love sleep. Me too. I yes. re- and sometimes... I wish I wasn't a morning person because sometimes I'm like, I wish I could wake up past 7 a.m. Like I can never wake up past 7 a.m. And so I wake up naturally. I haven't used an alarm clock for a very long time and my body will wake me up uh, usually between eight hours to eight hours, 15 minutes of sleep. And I'll naturally wake up. When you talk about uh, people becoming a morning person, what are some of the things that we need to stop doing in order to help us become morning people? Is there some of the techniques and tools you can share with us? Absolutely. So you're exactly right. As much as you wish or want to become a morning person, it's not just like you wake up and, (laughs) oh, here I am, morning person. So for starters, let's talk about the night before, which I know is a little bit counterintuitive in a book about mornings, but I devote a couple of chapters to it. First of all, you're exactly right. It's important to know how much sleep you need, and that can help you back into what time you need to go to bed. I know everybody is sick of hearing this, but the the truth is there's so much science about exposing yourself to blue light, which we Mm. get from our devices Mm. in the evening. Um, It is going to amp up your melatonin production, which makes it harder to fall asleep and harder to stay asleep. So right there, if you want to have an awesome morning tomorrow, you want to have a good night of sleep. So like do yourself a favor, pick up a paper book or stop scrolling on your phone, you know, ideally at least an hour before you hit the sack. Um, I also talk in the book about sleep rituals. I interviewed um, all sorts of sleep experts and looked at all the latest and greatest research on this. And um, there are simple things you can do, such as making your room a little bit cooler. That helps you sleep more soundly. Personally, I, I like to take a shower before I go to bed. Just I 
have this vision that it's like rinsing the good and bad energy oh, off amazing. me and kind yeah. of creating a, a clean slate for me to get all the restoration that my night of sleep has in store for me. Let's talk about alarm clocks for a second too. So I'm sure you know this because you're also super into sleep. The later phases of our sleep cycle are called REM sleep. And that's, that's like where the magic happens and all the restoration happens. So if you're the type of person who snoozes your alarm button for like an hour or even just a time or two, you're actually disrupting that really powerful sacred time of sleep. So I, I am really encouraging folks to think hard about what time do you have to get up? Like what's the latest you can get up and set your alarm for that. Like that is your sleep spot and sweet spot. And then back into what time you need to go to bed. Um, those are just a few examples, but they will all help a lot. They will help tremendously. I love that. That's such a great piece of advice. Cause often we hear like, Oh yeah, set your arm half an hour before your ideal time. And actually what you just said is we're disrupting our own sleep. Yes. And so I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think it's unhealthy to set too many alarms and also the repetition what we don't realize is we're creating a pattern where we don't listen to our alarm and so now that alarm is yeah. becoming less and less useful because you're so used to just pressing the snooze button and so it's losing its impact because you reject it it's like someone giving you advice and every time they give you advice you're like nope don't want it nope don't want right. it nope don't want it that person's advice becomes less and less useful over time so now an alarm becomes less and less meaningful exactly. whereas if it only rings once and it rings at the time when you know you want to be up, you're going to respond, hopefully. Yes. And actually, a note on alarm sounds, um, because rings tend to be what we choose or like that angry bleeping sound. And so one other um, tip or suggestion for folks who want to get up earlier or just have a more graceful entry into their day, pick a sound that you like that yeah. makes you happy. Absolutely. I use the chimes on my iPhone, but it could be anything. It could be a song you love. Start your day with something that makes you happy. It doesn't yeah. have to be like a, a loud, annoying, bleep, 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 you know? <laughs> <laughs> What I love about this book, Liz, is that it's so practical and I want everyone to see that because often when we hear about books on health and wellness, there's good ideas and maybe a couple of good thoughts and pointers, but Liz's book is full of exercises and takeaways. And I really appreciate that when I see that in a book, Liz, because I just find that sometimes we're even like, oh, I've heard that idea before. Oh, I know that. But that's never been the issue. Yeah. We know we need to sleep earlier and wake up earlier. We know that we need to put our phones down. Right. But we need activities and exercises to actually help us do that. And I'm really glad that you put some in. Are there any favorite activities or exercises that are in the book that you're just like, this one really worked for me or this one really worked for a friend? Could you share one with us? The chapter about learning what your personal core values are, that one is near and dear to my heart. Um, I think it's Sets, sets this book apart from um, other publications or books that have dabbled in mornings. Uh, because to, to your point, when we first started this conversation, my goal is not to get you up at 5.17 a.m. like I do. Yeah. My goal is to make your morning more magical. And what I learned is that when you are really clear on what your values are and what fills you up and lights you up, and then when you can actually take little micro actions nodding toward them every single morning, you are just prepared in ways you cannot even imagine to be a better parent, employee, pet parent, like sister, brother, friend, all the things. So there's one exercise in that core values chapter. I mean, I take you through several activities to sort of hone in on what they are for you. But the one I think is simplest and fastest, and you could even open up your, your phone right now or your 
computer right now and do it without having to um, put pen to paper is to take a calendar inventory and look at where you're spending your time. How many hours a day are you in meetings? How much time are you spending having lunch? Um, are you working out? Like, get clear on that, and that will help you hone in on, like, one, what are the things that you enjoy? And maybe you love those meetings, which is great. Maybe that means collaboration and teamwork are one of your core values. But this is also going to help you find where you have some room for improvement because maybe um, lunch isn't on your calendar. And what are you going to do for yourself today? You know, um, do you need time to take a walk or to journal during your lunch break? Um, do you need time to make yourself a healthy, yummy sandwich? Yeah. So. Anyway, that, that's one exercise that can help you get clear about what your personal core values are. And then the rest of the book is really like choose your own adventure. Um, or you could read the whole thing and get ideas. But say um, fitness or meditation, which I know is so integral in your life, are things that you want to add to your morning and they align with your core values. Then there's advice for how to actually bring those to life every morning. Yeah, I love that. I want to ask you this because... I get asked this a lot and I'm always conscious of it when I'm answering the question and now I get to ask it as someone who's actually dealing with this. So you're a mother, you're an editor-in-chief, you're a wife, you play a lot of roles in your own life. And I find that in my opinion, uh, mothers, especially with young children, have the hardest mornings. Mm. I look at my mother and that's where I remember it from. My mom used to wake us up, get us mm -hmm. dressed for school, me and my younger sister. She'd make our breakfast. She'd make our lunch. Yep. She'd then drop us to school. And she was an independent financial advisor at the same time. So she was also had her own mini company that she was setting up. So my mom was, and then she'd pick us up from school, make us dinner yeah. and help us with our homework. So I'd lived in a house with a superpower powerhouse mom that I love and adore. Yeah. And I just saw now when I think about it, I'm like, how does anyone do all of that? <laughs> like, how is that even possible? And today life's supposedly become easier and we have more support and we have more help here and there or we have tools and technology. But as a mother, as a experienced professional, as a successful professional, how are you getting through your morning? How are you still waking up at 5.17? Or how did you manage it when your kids were slightly younger? I, I want to hear about the messiness. Yeah. Because I think often mothers also are the ones that end up judging themselves the most <laughs> about not being there for their kids and then not feeling like they can perform and then feeling like all the responsibilities on them too. So glad you asked about the messiness because um, I also want to be very clear that al although I've got a good thing going with my mornings, that does not mean that every morning goes as, as I envisioned that it would without, you know, a little tornado here, a little disaster spilled milk there. Um, I'm also kind of chuckling because here we are, it's fall. My kids just started the school year again, which is awesome. So all three of them are, are they in, back at school. They are. Oh, yes. So, yeah. um, for the first time in a long time on Monday, the school bus, you know, it pulls up at 8.04 AM and I'm like, oh, this, I have to like get everything together. Like this is no joke. Um, because for a long time they were doing school from home. And, you know, if I went to my first work meeting wearing leggings, so be it. Um, so I, I knew I was going into my office. I had some reasons to be there. So I commute from Brooklyn to Manhattan. Um, so it, honestly, Jay, it was like, I had to put all the stuff I talk <laughs> about in Own Your Morning into practice. Like, yeah. Practice what you preach, Liz. Um, and for me, that meant doing a lot of prep the night before, 
pulling out what my outfit was going to be, having my children do the same, having them pack their backpacks. I made the lunches the night before because, oh, it's just like one more thing and everybody has opinions, you know, they don't want the whatever they, with my kids, they're very picky. Jelly sandwiches. (laughs) I can't believe I'm admitting that. But despite (laughs) it all, despite it all, it was like a morning of madness. And I did get them to the bus. Everybody got to school. They had lunches in their backpacks. But when I got to my desk, my hair was still wet. Like I was slightly disheveled and frazzled. And I did not feel like I wanted to that morning. And that's okay, too. I I knew in that instant, if I hadn't done the stuff the night before, if I hadn't been trying all the tips and tools that I write about in the book, this morning would have been like, you know, if it was a a 7 on a scale from 1 to 10, it probably would have been a 2 or a 3. And that's no fun. And I have a a job to do that I love to um, help women live their healthiest, happiest lives. And I have to like show up and be ready for that. So my mornings are not perfect. I just posted on my Instagram recently a reel that was sort of like Instagram versus reality. <laughs> like, you know, me like sipping my coffee and the reality version is like my giant Bernese mountain dog puppy is like <laughs> tumbles in and knocks it over and I have to like clean it up. So I get it. We're, we all, that's real life. Like that's, yeah. that's going to happen to each and every one of us. How do you make and prioritize time for yourself? You're leading a team with the kids, a company, like how do you actually even prioritize and make space for that time? I know you wake up at five seventeen as much as you can, which is incredible, but how do you make sure that that's a priority when you are serving so many other people? Yes, it goes back to the heart of this, which is mornings are the only time I can can really control and to um, have space to fill myself up and to take time for myself. And I, I think it's a lot like what you hear on airplanes about how you have to put on your own oxygen mask yeah. before you can help the person next to you. I 1000% believe that is true. Um, It's sort of counterintuitive, like, wait, what? I'm going to leave the apartment and go to the gym and do this Liz thing. I'm going to take the time to journal for 10 or 15 minutes. I'm going to do all this Liz stuff when I have like life and career and people pulling on me in every direction. But um, the reality is once you start doing that, you, you very quickly see the benefits and that you are able to give so much more to everybody else and everything else you do when you've you've stopped and filled up your own your own teacup first. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I used to just keep giving yeah. and going and giving and going. And then I asked myself this question, do I want to give people my best? Yeah. Or do I want to give them my leftovers? Mm. And I realized I was just giving people my leftovers. Yeah. But these were people that I love. Yeah. You don't give the people that you love your leftovers. And that's when I started realizing that self-preservation was so important. And my morning was the most important time to preserve because it was the only time that was truly sacred and mine and I could carve out. And I found that even recently, th- this week, I've been thankful enough to have a beautiful morning routine. It's almost back into nice. flow again. Yes. And I'm feeling all the benefits of it and I'm prioritizing going to bed earlier, saying yes. no in the evening. And there's parts of me that want to go out and do this thing and I have to keep pulling back. What happens? See, here's the challenge. When we talk about morning routines, a lot of people think, oh yeah, they must wake up every day at the same time. Like we talked about the messiness. How do you get back on track? Yeah. Because I feel like we all get on track, maybe for three days, maybe we even do the 21 days and it's meant to be a habit and it will right. stay forever. But then we fall off. 
I get on and fall off all the time. Me too. How do you get back on once you've fallen off? Oh, I'm very glad you brought this up. This reminds me of one of my favorite quotes, which full disclosure, I don't know who said it or where it came from, but um, it's really stuck with me over time. And the quote is, let's make better mistakes tomorrow. Oh, wow. So I don't know either. I, I, that was like my mantra on, on Monday as I arrived at work with slightly damp hair. I was like, okay, okay, we're going to learn from this, Liz. But um, I, I too get off track or I have something happen in the evening and it means I can't wake up at the hour I want to. I'm always looking for reasons um, to reset. And the beautiful thing is it doesn't have to be a huge life transition like starting a new job or moving into a new home or you know a change in relationship status. Those are all awesome reasons <laughs> to have a reset. Um, it could be as simple as the changing of seasons. But also, Jay, I think it could be as simple as like, it's a new week or it's a new day tomorrow. You don't have to wait for January 1st or the changing of the season or a huge, massive shift in your life. You have the power to choose that tomorrow is going to be better and different. And um, I would recommend embracing those moments of like, oh, that morning did not go like I wanted it to, or I stayed up way too late last night and nothing went like yeah. I like I hoped it would. To have a moment and reflect on that, like sit with that, and now now you get to do something about it and you get to make tomorrow better. Yeah, I love that. I, I think what you're saying is so true that judgment and guilt don't get you anywhere. Nope. When I, when I judge myself or I guilt myself because this has been such a bad week, I'm now just creating more guilt and creating more judgment. And then now I'm feeling worse. Yes. And now I don't feel like getting up tomorrow. And it's a, it's like a death spiral. Totally. You're just going to get it's lost in that tunnel. It's such a vicious cycle mm-hmm. and it just keeps going. And so I find that actually me saying, yeah, I gave myself a week off last week, but tomorrow is going to be different. Totally. It's such a healthier way to move and make progress. Uh, one of the things I think I love that you talk about in this book is power breakfasts. Yeah. Uh, I love talking about practical things to actually do, eat in the morning. I'd love to hear the science about it. I struggled for a long time with bloating in the morning. Mm. And so for a lot of time, I'd wake up and I'd eat really well at night. I don't eat late. I consider myself to have a really good diet, but I think over time I haven't necessarily been mindful and so things have happened. But I remember waking up feeling bloated. I remember waking up feeling no matter what I ate in the morning, I would end up feeling, you know, just not good. And then finally, and very recently, the two things that solved it, it was celery juice Mm and uh, chia seed pudding. Cool. So chia seeds in the morning and celery juice has transformed my life. I feel the celery juice is almost like a cleansing. I feel completely clean and internally and fresh. And then the chia seed pudding is really grounding. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's really worked for me. I wanted to hear what you found through the science of breakfast, because I think so many people skip breakfast or they grab a bagel on the way or they're eating on, you know, we're not commuting anymore, but... I think breakfast is an untalked about meal or unheard of nowadays. Yes. I love the breakfast chapter in the book. And I love actually the morning magic essay that was penned by um, this woman, Kate Merker, who oversees food for women's health. There's a morning magic essay in every single chapter. But Kate talks about the ritual of making toast for her family and her kids. Um, And she talks about how it fills them up, the smell of it, the ritual of it. They put cilantro on it. Sometimes it's with avocado. It can be all these different things. And 
to me, what's so beautiful about that story and about your chia pudding is that it's going to look different for every mm. single one of us. Yeah, that's why I asked because I was like, I don't think everyone's eating there, chia No, and I get asked this a lot as the editor of Women's Health, like, oh, do you intermittent fast or um, do you skip breakfast and should I, be wor- should I be eating before my workout or right afterward? And Jay, there's like, there's a study for, for everything. <laughs> and... What it really comes down to is what works for you. And you felt icky in the morning. You felt off. And so you probably tried all sorts of different things. So many and things. And that's what you have to do. You have to experiment. I, I will never say to somebody, yeah, you should do your workout fast in a fasted state, which, yes, there is science that suggests you'll go into the fat-burning zone more quickly if you do sweat um, without eating first. However, if you feel weak, um, or you can't give a hundred percent in your workout because you didn't put any calories in your body, then who cares what that research study said? It's not going to make a difference, but maybe you're like me. And I actually, I feel like I get stomach cramps and I feel off if I eat right before a workout, but it takes trial and error and experimentation. And it might take trying some different, some different foods and, um, just seeing what what works best for your body. But um, like you, over time, I've experimented with all sorts of different meals and the timing of them. And what works best for me is making myself a smoothie right when I get home from the gym. Um, So this is like while I'm making my kids their breakfast, which might be scrambled eggs, it might be um, cereal and apples, it could be a little different every day. For me, I like to have a banana with some um, peanut butter powder and some whole milk and ice and sometimes I'll add cinnamon or some other um, wow. anti-inflammatories like that. But it it's um, it fills me up. It's satiating. It feels refreshing after I've um, moved my body and gotten all hot and sweaty. And I feel like energized and ready to tackle the day. But it took me a long time to arrive at that that meal that yeah. to learn that like this is what helps me really perform at my peak and all the hours that follow. I'm so glad you made that point. And hearing the editor in chief of Women's Health say that is so refreshing and helpful because I think that's exactly it. That none of us are the same. Right. None of us have the same goals or core values as you said. Right. And therefore, fat burning may not be your priority. Your priority may be feeling good. Right. Uh, Your priority may be getting energy. Your priority may be losing weight or gaining weight, whatever it is. Like, it's just your core values and your priority has to be, and we have to be able to experimenting. I think that's what I'm hearing from you. It's just how many different types of things have you tried? I remember trying oatmeal. I remember trying cereal. I remember trying avocado toast. (laughs) I remember trying just dates and nuts. And, and finally I found a win with this and I feel so good about it. And again, I, I don't go around saying, Hey, everyone should do this. I think you should try these two things that I've found yes. to be beneficial and celery juice has lots of benefits, but at the same time, you may have it and be like, Jay, I feel terrible after that. Right. And, and I love that you're just giving us permission to say, just try stuff yes. and stop thinking that it has to be this way. Yes. Well, that is very much the ethos of women's health is that yeah. we are we are determined to help our readers live healthier, happier lives. And our job is to give you science-backed, expert-based, yeah. um, soundly researched ideas and tips and suggestions. But the truth is the magic happens when something resonates for you and you decide to try it and then it, it unlocks a whole new part of you. You feel better, you feel happier, and it's going to look different for every single person. Yeah. Absolutely. You talk a lot in the book about obviously your journaling practice too. Yes. We've spoken about this before. 
And I am such a big believer in journaling. I think it's such a powerful uh, practice. My wife as well owes journaling. She talks about journaling in the same way as you do. She feels so connected to it. And she will often do a lot of free journaling where she just let everything out and everything go. And I want to hear, how can someone start a journaling practice if they feel scared by it? Yes. And I identify with those people because it seemed like just one more thing to take on. Um, but I have aspired to journal for many years and I, this summer it really clicked like as a non-negotiable ritual that I do every single morning. Um, and the way I wrapped my head around it was by giving myself permission to stop after two sentences if I didn't have anything else to say or just wasn't feeling it. Um, And that was like the game changer for me. And I think you can apply that to a lot of different areas in your life, like even workouts. I've I've told people just just go to the gym or start the workout for a few minutes. And if you feel just ugh, I'm not feeling it today, you can stop. Why four minutes? Where did you come up? So four four minutes. minutes, There's actually very cool science about four minutes. Physiologically, that's how long it takes for our body to acclimate to the work of a physical exertion. Um, your oxygenation changes, your uh, joints and muscles lubricate. Um, you wo- Essentially, you warm up. So it's the difference between being warmed up and coming in cold. And nine times out of 10, when I make it to the four minutes point on those days, I just am not feeling motivated and don't feel like it. By four minutes in, I'm like, what? I feel like a new person. I've got this. And I go ahead and do the whole workout. Same thing with journaling, though. Some mornings I'm like, I don't have time. I don't have anything to say. It's okay, Liz. Just two sentences is enough. Where did you get into two? How did you figure out two? I literally pulled it out of thin air. It felt like um, short enough. Like I gave it some effort, but also short enough that it didn't overwhelm me. And Jay, I have never stopped at two sentences. It, it always goes beyond that once you get going. I love those two pieces of advice. I think it's so important. We always set like a, a target, but what we need to do is set a minimum. Mm, yes. Right? It's like yes. the opposite. It's like we're yes. always used to saying like, this. I want to write a page a day, but we don't just say, well, let me just write two lines right. a day. It's like a reframing of that. Yeah, and, um, it's a reframing. And actually you're so right that you develop more confidence, more excitement, more enthusiasm when you break what you thought you were going to do rather than when you fall short yeah. of a target. So if you even wrote nine lines out of 10, that would feel worse yeah. than if you stopped at two. Yes, I love that. One of my favorite studies is about um, the power of accomplishments and taking a moment to reflect upon them. It's a psychology principle, this, um, the psychology of momentum. When you accomplish something, that propels you forward to accomplish another thing. And it over time, it raises your expectations, but you, you gain that momentum. So if you are able to reframe and say, I did it, I did four minutes, I did two sentences. Actually, I blew that out of the water and I did 10 minutes and 10 yeah. sentences, whatever it is. Um, that, it, that little perspective shift will be a, extremely powerful in everything else you tackle the rest of the day. Absolutely, yeah. I, I was watching a video recently where one of my friends, Jason Goldberg, he was talking about a study in the Olympics. And he was saying that people who get bronze are happier than those who get silver. Because people who got silver were so close to being first that that pains us so much that we feel less happy. Whereas when you got bronze, you're kind of happy because I made it to the podium. Yes. And so I feel like every day we need to just make it to the podium and, and not try and aim for this number one. Because when you aim for that number one, you kind of just set yourself up for 
I'm not saying we shouldn't aim high. That's that's not the point I'm making. Right. I'm just saying that on a daily basis, you don't need to be number one. You just need to make it to the podium. I and This is going to become a new Liz mantra, make it to the podium. <laughs> I love I'm it. I'm obsessed with that. Yeah, I it's from it. that study that, that he shared in a video, and I thought that was fascinating. Uh, one of the things that I love in this book that you talk about also is winning your weekend. Yes. Uh, and when I read this, I couldn't agree with you more because... I think I think about that every week uh-huh. where I'm like the quality of my week is based on the quality of my weekend mm. and the quality of my weekend is based on my week. And as monks, we were taught that the quality of your day is based on your two hours of meditation and the quality of your two hours of meditation is based on your day. Yeah. And so they're symbiotic. Yeah. And often I think we look at our weekends as a way of making up for the week. Mm. How do you win your weekend and how does that transform the week? Definitely. Um, Weekends are so powerful. And I'll just speak for me personally. Weekends are the time when I actually, I do not set that 517 alarm. I'm going to sleep as late as my kids and dog let me. Um, (laughs) But I I am also in many ways bringing to life those core values that I bring to life every single weekday morning too. Um, I want to spend quality time with my kids. Um, I like to go to a farmer's market and take the time to, you know, like, pick up the fruits and veggies and meet some of the the farmers who are there and think about what what do I want to cook this week, get excited about putting um, all the, the fall apples into a beautiful bowl on my kitchen countertop. And the other thing is, Jay, for me on weekends, I have to be clear about um, all the plans and invitations and things that could come my way. And it's so easy to be like, well, that sounds like fun. Yeah. You know, this party or this event or this dinner. And that stuff can be really fun and being social and being around people is wonderful and can have tons of health benefits. But I also try to be really careful about not overextending myself and making the weekend like a new different form of hustling. I have to build in time to just chill Mm -hmm. and relax. And sometimes that means saying no to going out to dinner with friends you know, just being honest that what, what my body and heart and soul need are just some like alone time watching the latest Marvel movie with my, my kids and my husband and petting my dog. How have you got better at saying no? I think that's something that so many of us struggle with. And when you talk about owning your morning, winning your weekend, saying no is such a big part of that because the night before, like I know me and my wife, because we've found our morning groove right now, we're making sure that we're in bed by 9.30 in the evening because that's really important to us. But we're saying no to so many things. It's it's so true. Um, I think a lot of us feel like to live fuller, happier lives, we need to add things. And you're exactly right. Removing some things and decluttering um, is just as powerful and important. So I, as a, um, a lifelong people pleaser who squirms at the thought of somebody being mad or upset or disappointed, um, it's taken me a long time to learn this, that the, the kindest and most authentic thing to do is to say no quickly and not let the invitation sit there and fester, where it's occupying your brain power, probably stressing out your friend who invited you and is like, what's up? Why hasn't Jay responded to me? Like, can he come? Does he want to come? You know, and um, you don't have to go into the um, the paragraph long reason why you can't be there. You can just simply say, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm really sorry that I have a conflict and I can't come, but like, I'm looking forward to seeing you, blah, blah, blah. Um, your version of that in your own words in an authentic way. But um, that's been very powerful for me is 
rather than letting it sit and thinking about it. And then there's like more, more drama and internal like, oh, can't say no now. That's been, you know, um, just handle it in the moment. And that, that does require that you get clear about what your weekend is going to look like. Are you going to have like one social commitment? Um, is next weekend one where you actually just need to lay low and not have any? Um, and then when the invitation comes in or the thing pops up, you're more prepared to answer in the moment. And imagine like the, the amount of space that that will release in your brain and the emotional energy it unlocks for you to not have that sitting around hanging over you. I love that. I love that. I want to encourage everyone who's been listening and watching today to make sure you grab a copy of Own Your Morning. We'll have the link in the caption and everywhere else. And of course, I really want to see what you're all learning from this session. So I want you to tag me and Liz and I want you to hashtag Own Your Morning. Liz, you've been so generous with your time. Uh, I want to end as we do with every On Purpose episode with the final five or the fast five, which are the rapid fire questions where you have to answer every question in one word or one sentence maximum. So you okay. have a bit of flexibility. Ooh, I like, I like a challenge. Good, I, I, I know you do. So the first question that I have for you is, what is the best piece of morning routine advice you've ever received? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this, I mean, I literally wrote a book about know, this, Jay. You're making me one. say one you word. Pick one. Okay, um, or one, one I'll sentence. say one word. One sentence. Oh. Okay, yeah. light, light. Light. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you want me to expand? Yeah, I want you to expand okay. for a sentence. Yeah. It is scientifically proven that exposing yourself to light, light ASAP after waking naturally makes you feel more energetic and alert. I love that. Beautiful. I, I wake up at 6 a.m. So, and you wake up at 5.17 when it's not very light. I mean, it, this is getting more challenging yeah. as we're moving into um, wintertime and it's but darker in the morning. In general, but yeah. light, like even a bright light from a lamp, um, yeah. that's good for you too. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Question number two. What's the worst piece of morning routine advice you've ever heard? The worst piece is that there's one right way to do it. It's going to look beautifully different and unique for every single one of us. Yeah, that's a great answer. Third question, how would you describe your current purpose? Service. That's, I'm going to leave it at one word, service. Love that. And question number four, what's the most recent thing you've been tinkering with or playing around or experimenting with in your morning routine? I love listening to music to set my energy and I'm having a lot of fun tinkering with different types of music. Wow, um, I love that. And using it to go where I want to be energetically and to take me down a notch when I'm a little overly adrenalized and hyped up. That's brilliant. I really like that one. That's so awesome. I think we all listen to the same songs again or the same playlist. Yes. So important. I love that. Okay, fifth and final question. If you could create one morning routine habit that everyone in the world had to do, what would it be? <laughs> I think we could change the world if everybody began their day with gratitude. I personally write a gratitude list. It can be short, it can be long, but that is some incredible energy to begin your day with. I love that. Liz Plus for everyone, the author of Own Your Morning. Make sure you get the book. Make sure you tag us. Please, please, please. I think Liz says so many 
awesomely insightful things today and I want to see everything that resonates with you. So you can tag Liz on Instagram, tag me as well. And please, please, please share the hashtag ownyourmorning so that we can follow along and see all of your insights. Liz, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to share that you want to tell my community? Oh, you are the most awesome interviewer and it's super fun to talk to somebody else who loves mornings. Um, and yeah, I just want to say that you don't have to be a morning person to read this book. It will have some, some tweaks and ideas to elevate your morning to help you level up. But it's also for those of you who think you're a night owl and that you can never change your morning. I promise you, I promise you, you can. Um, I will help you. Jay will help you. And I can't wait to see everybody's hashtags because I'm inspired by how different everybody's mornings look. Um, and and that's, that's the fun part. I'd love to share them and inspire more, create a little morning movement. Yes. Morning movement. I love that. Hashtag own your morning. Tag us while you're doing your weird, funky, interesting, <laughs> curious morning routine practice. I can't wait to see it. And Liz, thank you so much again for coming on On Purpose. And I can't wait to share this with my community. It was wonderful to be here with you. Thank you so much, Jay. Thanks, Liz. 